Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ten, still pray for all of the sickness. I was telling Brother Cook before service, I have a pastor friend in central Indiana. They had to close, they closed service tonight because they have so many cases of flu, of influenza that's in their assembly. Amen. Stand with me, if you will, in honor to God's word, of course. No honor to me, but an honor to God's word. Acts chapter number 10. We're going to begin with verse number 23 here tonight. And uh, I'll read a few verses of scripture and then you may be seated. Then called he them in and lodged them. And on the morrow, Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But But Peter took him up saying, stand up, I myself also am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, you know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has shewed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying as soon as I was sent for. I ask, therefore, for what intent you have sent for me. Skipping down to verse 36. The word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. Uh, As a title tonight for the rest of the chapter of Acts, I want to talk to us tonight about preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Father, I come to you here this evening. God, we're grateful tonight, Lord, for those, Lord, who are well in their bodies, God, and here this evening that have made, Lord, effort to be in the house of the Lord. I pray, oh Jesus, God, that you're able to touch our minds, our hearts. Help us to read and learn, God, of your word. God, this word, God, that gives us guidance, instruction. This word, God, that will likewise be open, Lord, on the day of judgment. I pray, oh, Lord, today, God, that you're able to help us in the next few moments, Lord, as we consider the scriptures. God, for we know in them, Lord Jesus, they speak, and there are, there is, rather, Lord, life. God, we praise you for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about, taking from verse 36, how Jesus is Lord of all. How he is Lord of all. Meaning that he is not solely a Jewish Jesus or a Gentile Jesus, but that he is not regulated to one race or one nationality or one ethnic group, but he is Lord of all. A popular phrase of maybe years gone by, is this, and it is, he is either Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And so a couple sources outside of the Bible, uh, written during that time of of the first century, 
uh, relay some of the indifference, just again, just to pinpoint how, how shrewd this could be between the Jews and the Gentiles. It, it relays some of these sources, relays some of the, the indifference the Jews held toward the Gentile people or heretics, people who had fell away from Judaism and given up on it. Uh, it says in the Mishnah, which is a Jewish writing, it goes so far as to forbid aid to a mother in the hour of her need, that is a Gentile mother, or nourishment to her baby in order not to bring up a child for idolatry. That was the severity of the thinking toward the Gentiles. Insomuch that heathens or Gentiles were indeed, according to the, the timing of that land and the laws of that land, not to be forced into danger, but yet not to be delivered from it either. This was the mindset that they lived in. Others were along this line. There was to be no contact of any kind was to be held with a heretic or someone that had left the Jewish faith, not even to call medical aid to them if their life was in danger. So whenever we say there was opposition and that Jew and Gentile didn't necessarily get along, that is very much so an understatement. Amen, an understatement. But in contrast to the opinion of that day and that culture and that time, uh, there is an agreement, though, with the Scripture that tells us that a Gentile, as I believe I alluded to last week, that a Gentile did not have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. They did not have to become a Jew in order to experience the salvation plan of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and being filled with the Holy Ghost. Though the Jews at that time believed that that was the case. You know, we joke around today that, uh, you know, you might be able to get to heaven if you come through First Apostolic Church or you're at somebody else's church, so you can't get to heaven unless you come through here or you can't get to heaven if you have never visited. Well, in that day, it was no joke. They were saying you couldn't get to heaven unless you become a Jew. All right. And so that was just the condition of their error. And so uh, Peter, though, has an understanding of this idea that Gentiles did not have to become Jews in order to become Christians or experience salvation. And Peter's understanding throughout this chapter in particular is just widening and getting broader and broader throughout this chapter, that understanding that he has uh, since he had that heavenly vision of these beasts of every kind, unclean included in them, and God said to arise and eat, and that given to him three times, his, his understanding of this concept of the Gentiles having just as much right as a Jew to the Lord, the cross, the blood, that that purchase price was for all without just being, uh, just being uh, directed toward a certain segment of society. Peter's understanding is getting larger on this. And so whenever Peter even, we understand later, you'll, we'll get into chapter 11 perhaps next week, but whenever Peter, Peter finally returns to Jerusalem, he found himself that he's being called into the authorities, the Jerusalem Jewish authorities, to give account and notice, notice how far off things are. They're going to bring him in and say, we want to know. And they're not asking about, we heard you baptize some Gentiles. What they're going to bring him in on is they want to know, we heard you were eating with some Gentiles. Now that just goes to tell you how big this scale was tipped. They, their, their, prior, prior, their primary concern wasn't even so much the baptisms that he did, but that you ate with these Gentiles. And uh, so they wasn't even, didn't even ask about the baptism. And you'd think they would because uh, Paul will later tell us, as I've said several times throughout this book of Acts study, that we all are baptized by one spirit into 
one body. You think they had had something going on with that, but it just goes to show you. Verse number 23 here this evening, uh, whenever we understand that these three men that showed up where Peter was lodging, and Peter, being a Jew, invited these Gentiles into the place where he was lodging, and not just where he was lodging, but even allowed them, according to the Scripture, to stay overnight. Prior to all of this that have transpired in chapter 10, that would have been unheard of. That would have been unheard of. That, that would have not taken place. And it's particularly peculiar because even the Gentile entering into the house would not have happened. It would not have been accepted. They would have never accepted that invitation because they knew the feelings that were toward them. And so when we look at this, we understand that the actions and the reactions of, of Peter and these three Gentiles is nothing more but the results of God who has been conditioning the hearts of these two people groups. Cornelius, of course, and I, this is a little review, but Cornelius is conditioned for all of this before he ever sends those men uh, to Joppa, or, or rather, yes, to Joppa, before he ever sends them to Joppa because God told him Simon is going to be in the house of, of Simon the Tanner. So he's already conditioning Cornelius for this. Peter's conditioned for it by his vision that he has received from the Lord. And so it, it, it's kind of peculiar, but God is already working on these two different people groups for this to take place. Not only that, this isn't, we read in Scripture that Peter is in Joppa. They come to this house of Joppa, Simon the Tanner, to meet Peter. And we come to learn, if we look back in the past in the Old Testament, this isn't the first time we read of a Jewish man at Joppa and also Gentile people. Because if anybody remembers Joppa, you'll remember Joppa was the place that Jonah ran to after God told Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh among Gentile people. I want you to preach the message. Jonah, not wanting to, fled to Joppa to get away from it all. In his disobedience, uh, to in his commission to preach the word to the Ninevites or the Gentile people, he fled to Joppa. But Peter, in the same place, is dealt with a decision to make to go now to some Gentiles too and preach the word and minister as well. And so it's kind of just something just you just kind of notice in Scripture that Jonah resorted to Joppa to escape his mission of preaching. And it was Peter who left Joppa to embark on his mission to preach to Gentile people. And so the Bible says there were some other brethren that were accompanying with Peter. We'll find out later in verse 45 that these men were of the circumcision or that they were Jewish people that accompanied Peter. And we'll find out that perhaps the Lord organized all this, and this is supposition on my part, perhaps the Lord organized all this so that they would be witnesses. There would be another witness besides Peter there to witness that these Gentile people re received the very same Holy Ghost that the Jewish people received. As a matter of fact, many people will call Acts chapter number 10 the Gentile Pentecost. Acts number 2 seemed to be the Jewish Pentecost, but they'll call this the Gentile Pentecost because they received the very same like precious gift that the Jews received. So maybe God sent those others with Peter had them accompany him so that it wouldn't just be Peter's voice, but there would be some other Jews as well that would see, hear, and experience what had happened to these Gentiles just, just the same, that they got the Holy Ghost like they did. When we come to verse number 24, whenever Peter enters into the house of Cornelius, uh, we learn something right here, and that is 
Cornelius isn't by himself. He's, he, what he thought he was going for a man, Cornelius, he finds out that his household's there. He even finds out that some friends, near friends of Cornelius is there as well. Amen. And that's, that's, there's a big high watermark for Cornelius here that we even learned from verse number 2 of chapter 10. And that was Cornelius in, chapter, in verse 2. The Bible tells us that Cornelius and his household feared God. Cornelius and his household reverenced God. It was one that feared God with all his house, the Bible says. And so what this tells us, this man's not even got salvation, but we understand that Cornelius is the leader of his home. Cornelius is the leader of his home. And his influence permeated through the branches of his family. Insomuch, before he ever knew that Peter was going to be there, he knew what God showed him and he sent them in. But before he knew Peter ever even arrived, he's already getting his family together, getting his near friends and acquaintances together, and says, there's going to come a man here that's going to command us in the ways of the Lord. Now listen, you have to have sway with people that's in your circle of influence. Family, friends, in order to tell them, now I sent for him, you don't know if he's coming or not. But to get these people gathered around before he ever arrives... That he's going to tell us what the Lord commands. Now that is a leader of a home. And he don't even have salvation. I'm telling you, we need some leaders like Cornelius. That can have big enough influence in their household that the household reverences God. And that friends, that whenever you begin to speak to them, that your word has enough influence that that would have persuasion upon them. And so we see then now that Peter is finally there. He walks in and... You know, walking in, going to see Cornelius is like, well, hi, y'all. You know, I mean, here's a whole group of family and friends that are gathered together. And, and, and he enters in here, and they're here to hear, they're here to hear or listen to what Peter has to say. And the Bible tells us this, that, that Peter found many, in verse number 27, it says that he found many that were come together. Many that were come together. And what, again, this is a good reminder for us. What this is a good reminder for us is this. It's a great reminder that every person, everybody say every person. Every person or every soul has relatives and friends. Great reminder that every soul has relatives and friends. And that being said, you will never truly know the impact one soul can have on other people in their life. Because when you minister to one, we are in that moment potentially ministering to many. Peter came because our, our, our commander Cornelius wants you to come. He gets there on the journey perhaps thinking it's going to be one but he enters into an arena of many because you cannot touch a life without touching the lives that that person touches. All those that are associated with them, a good case in point of this, this, this isn't necessarily about so winning, uh, but whenever, whenever we just talk about people that know people that know people and the, the rings in the water just get larger and larger, uh, you all know, most of you know, prior to we ever coming home, we served a tenure in Florida with Brother Steve Boyd. Well, here's how all of that happened. Me to ever know or be acquainted or meet or greet, Brother Boyd, it all started right back in Chandler, Indiana. 
in Chandler, Indiana in the, in the year 1999. Chandler, Indiana, Gary Meredith. We were already friends with Brother Meredith. But Brother Meredith knew a man by the name of Jeff Cockrell in Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Virginia. Elizabethtown, Virginia. West Virginia. And through that connection, we were invited in 1999 to go preach a youth camp in Elizabethtown, West Virginia. There at that youth camp would come a man by the name of Donald Haar from South Shore, Kentucky. Met that man, and I would preach at his church in South Shore, who across the river was a man by the name of Robert Coffey, who I would preach for and meet. Robert Coffey would be the one that would give my name and a reference of recommendation to Steve Boyd in Florida so that I could ever go down there and preach and then spent a good nine months then prior to coming home where there was a great investment. But all that started from Chandler, Indiana. Now, that's, that's a long way around to make a connection, but I'm telling you, there are very similar things just outside these doors. Through the people that you meet, you talk to, you witness to, you minister to, that the ripples of the water can go out and out. And Lord only knows who some of these people you talk to are in connection with, the friends they have, the family they have, the influences that they have within this community you're not aware of. I know we're a small community and we, yeah, everybody knows everything about everybody. You know, there's some things we don't know. There's some things we don't know. Amen. And so we must not uh, underestimate the, the possibility of just reaching one because that could have great impact upon many as it did Cornelius and his household and his household. Amen. And so going further, chapter, verse number 25, he comes here to Cornelius and Cornelius falls down at the feet of Peter. He bows down, falls down at his feet. The Bible says that he worshiped him. Now, there's something here we must understand. This, this whole scenario of the Gentile Pentecost is happening about 10 years later than the Jew Pentecost. About 10 years later, this is happening. And so with that being the case, uh, there have been events that took place like the Pentecost in Acts 2. There's been the salvation of the Samaritans. And none of these things, the Bible tells us, the operation of the apostles, none of this was done in a corner somewhere. That's the way it says it. None of this was done under a, a canvas of being hidden. They did it, folks, with, 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 with unashamed, out in the open. And so none of this was done in a corner somewhere. So there may have been a certain amount of where, awareness of these events that Cornelius was aware of and of Peter's involvement in those different episodes. As a matter of fact, verse number 37 tells us that they must have known about the word that was preached and the ministry of Jesus that took place after the baptism of John because Peter doesn't even make, make much, uh, doesn't cover that history very much. He just says, that word I say ye know. He says, you're aware of these things, Cornelius, and those that were gathered. You're aware of all these things. And so nevertheless, this man Peter, this man Peter, even if, even if they didn't know anything, Cornelius knows this man Peter is the one that the angel of the Lord said sin for. And so if an angel is telling me to sin for this man, it's like, ooh, what a man. Seriously. If an angel came in your room and talked to you about someone, you'd probably have a little reverence too. And so here's the man that the angel of the Lord said sin for. He's here, and so he's bowing over, and he's worshiping, all right, which just to bow or to fall down equates with the word worship. 
That's all it is. Uh, whenever you recognize, whenever I've taught on this before worship, when two people enter the room, someone recognizes who the superior is, and whoever the superior is, the other one who is inferior bows. That's just respect. That's just respect. And so Cornelius is feeling as though he's the inferior. So he's bowing in the, in the presence of what he was thinking is a superior. But notice, Peter knew. Peter knew as a man he should not be worshipped. But think for a moment. How easy it would have been being a Jew. Him a dirty dog Gentile. That he's bowing in my presence. He's noticing that I am the superior. And he is the inferior. He's bound. You know how easy it would have been just to accept that? A Gentile admitting that they are inferior? But Peter says in verse 26, he tells Cornelius, he says, stand up. I love these next few words because this is, again, the unfolding of what Peter's learning. He told Cornelius, this Gentile, to stand up. He says, I myself also am a man. Now, that's a big deal. No, you have a Jew telling a Gentile, I'm a man just like you're a man. Peter was telling him what he had learned through the vision he received from God. Stand up, because I'm just like you. In other words, labeled Jew or labeled Gentile, we're both just merely men. We're both the same. We both need God. We both need saved. Listen, we really don't have a pinnacle to stand on or to tout our righteousness or holiness from because we walk out these doors and whoever you meet on the street, I don't care who they are, you can look at them at just the same. Say, don't look at me because I'm apostolic, Pentecostal, and all this other stuff. I'm merely just a man like you are. I was born through the womb of a woman just like you are. I was in sin just like if it isn't for you subtract God from my life, I am no different than. Hands down. And so he leads with that then in, in verse number 28. Peter leads with that as he addresses these Gentile people. He said to them, ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has shewed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore came I unto you without gainsaying. That means without objection. I came, with you without, came to you without objection. As soon as I was sent for, I asked there for what intent ye have sent for me this would have not otherwise been able to take place this is the reason why my title tonight is preaching peace by jesus christ this would not have been happening had it not been for the sacrifice of christ on the cross there would not have been the mending together of these two people groups into one had it not been for jesus christ we'll read later in the closure of this lesson ephesians how he christ jesus broke down the middle wall of partition between jew and gentile he brought peace where there was animosity. He brought peace where there were indifference, where there was, there was just words of, of, of animosity toward one another. He brought that all together because he is Lord of all, both Jew and Gentile. It wasn't that the Jew was, uh, you know, not clean and, and the Gentile unclean. It wasn't the Jews clean and the Gentiles unclean. But both Jew and Gentile, according to the word of God, according to Romans 11, tells us for God, this is what the Bible says, now, I know all of society and men are weighing in on who's clean, who's unclean. But let's hear what God had to say. He said in Romans 11, For, hath, for God hath concluded them all, Jew and Gentile, in unbelief, that he might have mercy on the Jew only? No. So that he could have mercy on them all. 
He says, you all can put labels on yourself, call you want what you want to. But from the perspective of heaven, you're all circled in unbelief. You're all damned up into a prison house of sin. He says, and I do that so that I can have the same mercy, the same affection, the same power, the same influence on each and every one of you. Not good works. No, no, no. All of you are shut in in there. And the only key, that's Christ Jesus, can unlock it for all of you. Amen. So again, a Gentile didn't have to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. The Bible says in Matthew 7, 21, it says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he what? That doeth the will huh, of my Father, which is in heaven. We got plenty of Jews here saying, Lord, Lord. That doesn't necessarily make it you're sealed and delivered. No. He says, but whoever doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And the will of the Father was expressed in the life. The will of the Father was expressed in the life of Jesus Christ. It was God's will that he would suffer. It was God's will that he would die. It's God's will for his death and his burial and his resurrection, which is paralleled then in our lives by being obedient to that gospel of the death, the burial, and the resurrection paralleled in our lives by our repentance, our baptism, and our receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. So to do the will of the Father is that salvation plan. It was carried out in the life of Jesus and it's paralleled in our lives by obedience to the gospel of repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That's how it comes up. It's not crying out, Lord, Lord. It's doing the will of the Father. The will of the Father is not a Jewish thing. The will of the Father is not a Gentile thing. The will of the Father is a Jesus thing. <laughs> Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, he said that this gospel, this gospel, he said, you can read it. 1 Corinthians 5, it talks about the gospel, tells us what the gospel is. It says, this gospel, he said, I declared to you, you received, and he says, by it you've been saved. By that gospel, by that death, burial, and resurrection, internalized in your own life. We continue looking. When you read Acts 30, verses 30, that is, we're in chapter 10, okay? I'm just not saying chapter 10. That's a given. That's where we're at. If you don't know that, you got a lot of catching up to do. In Acts 10, verses 30 through 33, Cornelius is again, because Paul, Peter rather, wanted to know, why is it that you've called me? He's heard it from some of the others. I guess he wants to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And so Cornelius begins again to recount his vision and how he was praying and how the angel of the Lord told him to send for Peter. And, and he tells him, he basically tells him four days before the, this moment right now, four days before this moment right now, the Bible tells us again that Cornelius was praying. All right? Matter of fact, verse number 30 says, I prayed in my house. Now, this is just a little side note to everything I'm saying tonight, but it's good enough to talk about. Cornelius was a man that practiced prayer at home. Now, isn't that good? Now, that's good within itself. That's good enough right then. You can put that on Facebook and tweet it tonight and Twitter. I mean, that's good. Cornelius was a man that practiced prayer at home. Amen. But he was praying. He said, four days prior to this, I was praying. I was fasting. Basically, he was hungry for God. And the man that was hungry for God, God sent a vision and then put on the heart of Peter and pressed him to come. Now look at verse 31, Acts 10, 31. The Bible said, 
And said Cornelius, this is the Lord speaking to Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, thine alms, remember he gave much, alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. When this was first accounted, it said that they've come up as a memorial, a memorial before the Lord, which basically means as a reminder before God. No salvation here. This guy does not have salvation. He's not repenting. He's not been baptized. He's just hungry. And he says all these things that come up as a memorial before the Lord. Now, folks, it's important. Listen to Pastor tonight. It is important to denote that this unsaved man's prayers, giving, fasting, did not go unnoticed by God. That they came up as a memorial or as a reminder to God. Because what that means is this, is that, listen to me, God took notice of a hungry Cornelius. God took notice of somebody that was hungry for him. Not yet saved, but he seen the hunger. Now, he wasn't teaching a Sunday school class in the apostolic church. Hand went down in Jesus' name yet. But God took notice of somebody that was hungry for him. Insomuch that he would give this man, by virtue of a vision and the angel, instruction to call for a certain man to be placed in his life. But the Bible tells us in verse 33, that will tell you all things that I have commanded him. Now, listen to me, I'm just going to, Settle in here just a little bit. Folks, I, I have been personally trapped in conversations before where someone has attended this church and have come from another faith, come to the truth, been baptized in Jesus' name, received the Holy Ghost here, right here in this church. I've been trapped in conversations before, after their conversion, after their infilling, after all that, came from left field to me and my wife but they would come in the office and begin to quibble about their past prior to knowing the truth. Not walking in the fullness of the truth, but was, listen to me, was walking in the fullness of truth that they knew at that time. Are you listening to me? And they would be quibbling about their past and they asked my wife and I some hypothetical questions about whether or not they were saved then. And they wanted a yes or no answer. They didn't want no explanation. They didn't want anything else but yes or no. Now listen to me. If you want a yes and no answer, I'll give you a yes and no answer, but I'd really like for you to allow me to teach and be explanatory. But they weren't and pretty adamant that they didn't want it. Now, again, this is baffling to me because they've already come to the truth, save all this. So I'm just kind of, I'm confused at this state. Anyway. And so they asked that, so without allowing me any explanation, they wanted a yes or no answer. And so based upon scriptures like Romans 8 and 9, now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Based upon such scriptures of that kindness, I said no. And I believe based on, backed into a corner with no explanation, with a clear conscience, I said what should have been said. Now they are not here today, that, disappoint me, that disappoints me greatly. But had I the time and the liberty to explain, I'd let them know as I'd let anybody know that I am confident that a person that is hungry for God is not going to be left to themselves without a way made to satisfy that true hunger that they have for God 
that God, just as with Cornelius, sees a hunger in a person's life if it's sincere. And he is not just going to leave them over there floundering if they have a hunger. He's going to set up a divine intersection. He's going to set up a divine intersection where revelation can be brought into that person's life. And when that revelation is brought, then they will be posed with the decision of whether to accept it or reject it. You listening to the pastor tonight? Because there's a lot of hungry people that's not sitting on our pews and they're not sitting at home. They're sitting in churches. And they're living to their knowledge and to their understanding of truth, but they're hungering for more, it seems. God sees that all their prayers, all of those things have come up as a memorial for God. God is not going to forget them. He wants to set up divine appointments to confront them with the totality of truth and leave them with a decision to make. Are you, I'm, I'm confident of that. The Bible says in John 7, 17, uh, this is Jesus speaking. He said, if any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. This literally reads this. If any man is willing to do his or God's will, he shall know. He shall know. Let me break it down like this. If a person will do the will of God, and let me state it like this, if they will do all the will of God that they know at present time in their life and in that moment, and they walk in, as we say, they walk in all the light that they know at that moment, yet with a yearning and a hunger, something bearing in their spirit that there's more. If they'll do the will that they know or the light that they know at this moment, they shall know of the doctrine. They shall know of the revelation of truth. They shall know the revelation of the way. It, revelation will come into their life. Uh, it, 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 it can come a variety of ways through a person, through a message, a variety of ways that that can come into life. But he says, if they'll walk in that way and they're still hungering after me, I'll reveal myself. I'll reveal my doctrine unto them and they'll receive more understanding and more revelation about truth if they're seeking me and then they'll come to that place that they'll have to decide whether this is something they need to go all in with or they'll reject at that moment. And at that moment, then I cannot, I, I've done, God has done and orchestrated what God can and do for them until, until they get a willing heart. Are you listening to me? What I'm saying is there is hope for people, absolutely. But God will set up those divine appointments. Say, well, they're, bless God, they're hungry for God, they're seeking for Brother McGee, what's going to happen if the Lord comes and they're not in the church? Listen, I think if God senses their hunger and sees it as Cornelius, he's going to make a way where truth can get to them and they're going to willfully accept it or reject it. So we can sit around the table all day and say, well, what if, what if? Let me tell you, the what if is this. They're going to either willfully accept it or reject it. God is going to get it to them if there is a sincere hunger for it. I'm confident of that. According to the word of the Lord, I am confident of that. And here's the thing. It is one thing then that after that revelation has come, it's one thing after you've learned it, whether you, whether you reject it as it's revealed to you or whether you accept it after it's revealed to you. The Bible says in Genesis 18, the Old Testament story, the angels have come to Abraham. God is there. Abraham's God being Abraham's friend. God is just kind of passing by Abraham. Here's what I'm about ready to do. I'm about ready to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, let me tell you, you're friends with God. When God starts running something by you, he's about ready to do. 
Now that's a whole different avenue. But there was enough of a fellowship and kinship between God and Abraham that he was got ready to take out his sin. He just said, Abraham, what do you think about that? When's the last time God came by your house and was about ready to do something and asked you, what do you thought about it? <laughs> so the Bible says, I've got to keep on track here. Genesis 18, verse 23. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? He's, he's thinking about Lot. He's thinking about some people in the city, maybe even beyond Lot, that could be, quote, unquote, you know, righteous. Are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now look at verse number 25. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, that the righteous should be as the wicked. Remember, Abraham goes down through the list. You, will you do it for 50? Will you do it for 45? Will you, do, you know, you feel like you're at an auction, you know. That the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee. Look at the, and this is a question, but it's a statement with a question mark at the end. I even don't know if they properly annotated the, the, the annotation that needed to be at the end of the sentence because you, you ain't going to find question marks and, and, and exclamation points in Hebrew and Greek, okay? This is basically by the translators. But he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I don't, that wasn't just a, per se a question. That was a statement. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Now, when we consider the word righteous here in Genesis, righteous here simply means this. Listen to him. Simply means this. One endeavoring to do right. That's pretty vague, isn't it? One endeavoring to do right compared to the wicked, which is one absolutely hostile to God. And the terminology that's laid before me, the righteous here very well could have been a Cornelius. He's praying. He's fasting. He's endeavoring to do right. <laughs> now, with that being said, so this righteous person in Genesis is just trying to do good. Not, he's not, a sin, not necessarily a sinless person. For that matter, if you'll give me Ecclesiastes 7.20, the Bible says, for there is not a just, exact same Hebrew word that they used in Genesis for, for translated righteous, same one here for just, means the same thing. For there is not a just, I could just as easily substitute in there, there is, there, for there is not a righteous man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So we're not necessarily talking about a sinless person. We're just talking about a person that's endeavoring to do right. And so even back in Genesis 18, Abraham even knew in his question or his statement that he gave to God, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? What are you saying, Abraham? Abraham even knew all the way back then before Acts 10 that whenever God sees the hunger of a soul, God will make sure there's an appointment that revelation will come to that person and they'll have a choice to make. Cornelius, the Bible says, everybody doing okay? Cornelius sent for Peter. Immediately Peter came. Now, here we are. They're all here. They are eager to hear. You look at it in verse 33. They are eager to hear all the things that are commanded. He said, thee, Peter. Everything, we're eager to hear everything that's been commanded, thee, Peter, to tell us. Cornelius is hungry, man. And look at the influence. Those that are with him, his relatives, his friends, they are hungry. And this hunger has caught the attention of God. And God has not left him floundering over here in left field. He's, he sent a man. He sent a message with a man to broaden and enhance their understanding of where they are at. And so here's Cornelius, here's all those gathered with them. They want to hear all the things that God hath commanded Peter. 
Side note, just got to. They wanted to hear. These are people that don't know. They're lost. They have an acquaintance with God. But they don't know God to the depth that they, they are lost. But they want to hear what the preacher, not the preacher has to say. They want to hear what God has told the preacher to say. No, that, that's a big difference because, see, in our seeker-friendly society in the church, they tell me of all the religious things that I read in magazines, you know, outreach magazine, this and that. You need to be a seeker-friendly church. You need to have a message that has good stories that can somehow, you know, engage those people of today's society. Amen. You need to have something like that. You know, they're diluting the content of the word and they're increasing uh, the storytelling. I'm about ready to find me a horse to get on here. Amen. <laughs> you know what? Scripture right here said the people didn't need a good story. People didn't need something that was seeker-friendly for them. The people didn't need a word that was deluded and, and, and crippled and handicapped. No, they needed the word that God had given to Peter. They needed to hear what God had commanded the man of God to speak. They said, we're here, we're lost, we're hungry, and we need to hear what God has told you. Folks, you don't have to dumb this message down. You don't have to alter it. We don't have to make it where there's going to be fireworks around here and fire come from the altars. What we need is the adulterated word of God. What souls need, what people need, is what God would speak to a man of God, and that man of God will speak to the people. You don't have to put butter on it. You don't have to put anything else on it. Just preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. It'll do it all by itself. Bishop, I've seen it too many times, even throughout what growing up as a kid under your preaching. Man, some of us think, man, Bishop's preaching this and we got visitors. People start scratching their head and they get these little nervous twitches because what he was preaching and there were guests there. There'd be people in society, preachers I know today, that would say that wasn't wise. But you know what happened? Some of those same people came to an altar of prayer. Amen. Received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I, I remember you teaching on holiness and we had people that evidently came in that night that wasn't. Some pastors would say, you shouldn't have done that that would have not been wisdom but it opened the eyes of some of those when he was teaching it that night how does that happen I'll tell you why because God gives a mandate to a man and the man must pass it on to the people regardless regardless if it's of God it'll be right it doesn't matter what you think you think or you think if it's of God it'll be right Don't have to sugar it up. Or do, no, no, no. So we want to hear. Want to hear what God has commanded thee. You know why? Because what they were hungry for was not hungry for Peter. They were hungry for the God of Peter. So we don't want to hear what Peter has to say. We want to hear about the God that we're hungry for, what he has to say. And I'm not trying to be rude, crude, or unkind. But there will be a separation in who's truly desirous and hungry for God when you preach what God wants to say. Whether they'll follow and desire that or whether they turn away from it. That right there will be a very good litmus test about who's really hungry for God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about being unkind. 
I'm talking about handling the word of God with love and handling it all appropriately. I'm not talking about being mean and abrasive. But I'm also not talking about diluting truth. You can speak the truth in love and not have diluted it. Happens all the time. If you didn't know it, looky there. You're sucked in. That you could hear truth and it was done in a loving way so much so that you, it was, wow, that's poignant truth, yeah. Didn't dilute it, but just did it with love. Angel of the Lord spoke to Cornelius about getting Peter. But the angel of the Lord, this messenger, this instructor, this what the Bible calls a ministering spirit, ain't preaching the gospel to these folks because angels themselves desire to look into this thing called the gospel. Salvation. Uh-huh. Look at it. First Peter 1 and verse 12. The Bible says, unto whom? To preach to you judgment and salvation. And you know what Pastor McGee calls that? Balance. That's balance. Sometimes we're going to come in here, we're going to preach about heaven. There are other times we're going to preach about hell. There's other times we're going to come in here, we're going to talk about how, how to be saved. There are other times we're going to talk about the terror of the Lord that's coming and what we can face if we're not saved. I know it's a, it's, it's an unpopular concept for the modern day church. But Peter says we preach judgment and we preach salvation. And folks, that is called balance. We did this in our Revelation study, but I don't want to read these verses of Scripture to you again. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Verse 11, Paul says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Let me tell you something. Your salvation message will not be any more powerful than your message of judgment. He says, because we know the terror of the Lord, we're very persuasive for men to come to him. You want to put some power in your salvation message? Preach judgment. I know you all are not preachers here, but it's good anyway. <laughs> and no, evidently, Peter's preaching now, but he doesn't get to finish his message. Because evidently, the Gentiles laid a hold of that one word in verse 33 that through his name, whosoever. <laughs> Wait a minute. That through his name, whosoever. Not, you didn't say Jew, right? You didn't say Samaritan, no. You said whosoever. That's me. That includes me. That means this Gentile. This one that they considered, considered dirty old dog. Peter didn't even get to finish his message because the light bulb went on inside of these Gentile hands, heads. Whosoever, and the Bible says, they received the gift of the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues and magnify God. And this is my best part. This, is a, this just makes me just so excited because I am a preacher of the gospel. It didn't happen while the choir was singing. It didn't happen while the sign team was signing. 
It didn't happen from a, a, a five Sunday contest leading up to Easter. It didn't happen in all that. You know what happened by? The Word. The Word. The Word of God was being preached and they took the Word for what the Word was saying and said, you know what? That applies to me. What hinders me right now to throw up my hands and have God to come into my life and they began to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speak in other tongues as the man of God was preaching. There is nothing any more biblical than someone to receive the Holy Ghost while a man of God is preaching. Nothing more biblical than someone come to an altar of prayer while someone's up here shouting the word of God. Honey, that doesn't interrupt the sermon. No, that completes the sermon. When somebody... We've said it for years. I continue to say it. These altars are always open. They are never shut. I know at the end sometimes we say we're going to open these altars. Let me tell you, they were open all along. If you need salvation, you can come on the very first reading of the scripture. It don't matter to this preacher. We'll pray and God will fill you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing more biblical than that. The whosoever is still the whosoever. Didn't even... Now, some would go, wait, I didn't even get to finish preaching. Well, my God, I'm so glad. That goes to show you that maybe perhaps their mandate was what they had to say rather than what God had to say. Someone gets embittered over not being able to finish preaching. They were probably had, they probably were saying more than what God was saying in that service. Verses 44, 45 rather than 48. I see the tarmac planes gearing up. Land the gears coming down. And so remember, Peter had a group of Jews that accompanied him. We went over these verses a thousand times. Welcome to thousand and one. They accompanied him. They're astonished because the Gentiles have received the Holy Ghost just like they received the Holy Ghost. There is no difference between them. The Gentiles did not have to adopt Jewish practices in order to receive the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, I'm sure you that greatly these Gentiles that were sitting there were without any physical circumcision. And yet they're speaking in tongues like their Jewish brethren had spoken tongues. And these Jews knew without doubt that the Gentiles had received the Holy Ghost. We all times go to verse 46 because it says they heard them speak with tongues. And although the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost prior to being baptized, we reiterate and underscore Peter steps to the forefront and tells them, can any man forbid water that these uh, should not be baptized? And then he commands them. Doesn't suggest, say if you want to, option, no. He commands them that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord, which we know to be Jesus Christ, according to Acts 9 and 5. And then look, after this is all said and done, verse 48, the last phrase says, then prayed they him, or Peter, to tarry certain days. That is a very good indication of the continued hunger that these converts have. It was their hunger that brought them to this moment. Now they have had the Holy Ghost. They are still hungering for more. Peter, why don't you stay? What? Man, there's still so many questions, so many things that we, we want to learn, we want to understand, revelation that we would like to know, help desire that you would help further our growth in this new experience. If you'll stand with me, I want to read Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, some verses here serve, I believe, as a very great conclusion to Acts chapter number 10, to this chapter, to this whole idea of preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Again, bringing these groups together, only Christ could do that. Only Christ could do that. No one prior to that could accomplish that. Only Christ could do that. 
And so this Ephesians 2, verse 11, starting, is, could very easily be a postscript to the happenings of Acts chapter number 10. The Bible states these words. Look at this. Preaching, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. It says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, Jews, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise and having no hope and without God in the world. That was you Gentiles. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ because he purchased the church with his blood. For he is our peace, Christ is. He is our peace. Who hath made both one, what both, Jew and Gentile, made them both. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body, both Jew and Gentile, into one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. There's not that animosity now between the two groups because of the cross, because of Jesus Christ. Verse 17, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off, and to them that were not. He preached peace to the, the Gentile and the Jew because there needed to be reconciliation and would happen in the body of Christ Jesus in the cross and the sacrifice. Verse 18, for through him, that is Jesus, we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit unto the Father. Ephesians 2.14 tells us Jesus is our peace. He told us in Acts that the word that was sent to the children of Israel was preaching peace by Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, Lord of all, Jew and Gentile, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. Brought the Jew and the Gentile together, and there's still going to be a lot of messages of peace, per se, preached to the Gentiles through the Apostle Paul now, namely, and throughout the rest of the scriptures of establishing churches in remote regions, if you will, the world of the Gentile world. Amen. Next week, we'll go to Acts 11. And we'll look at what happens. Paul, he's going to retell, or Peter's going to retell the story all over again for these Jews about what happened there at Caesarea. Amen, Philippi. Amen. Let's bow our heads here this evening. Father, I come to you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.